Welcome to the podcast. This is a weekly podcast by Denver Transplants. I'm Matt. And I'm Andrew. And this is You Aren't From Here. All right, guys. Hello, hello, hello again. Same time, same place, as you (laughs) know and love. Well, another episode. Another episode. So hope hope everyone enjoyed the the last episode. Uh, you know, Meow Wolf got a lot of good a lot of good feedback. I think, like I, we said on the podcast, man, Meow Wolf really gets the people going. And so I had people, my coworkers, listen to it. I, I didn't even know they knew I had a podcast. So uh, yeah, that's awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and and we'll obviously keep you guys up to date on when it actually opens up. And I'm sure that'll be a where have you gone part of one of our episodes when it's actually opened up in Denver. So. Yeah, no, and I'm like actually like pretty pumped. I think it's like, I think it's a great thing for Denver. I mean, there's only Santa Fe and Las Vegas. And I feel like there's now when people come to Denver after it's open and most people are like, well, what do you do in Denver on a random weekend? I usually can't give them that many ideas and Meow Wolf's going to be number one. I think. Oh, oh Yeah. Well, and that's what I had my my managing director uh, had gone has gone to the one in Santa Fe and was pumped when he heard that we did that. He like he do just like he went on this like thirty minute spiel in the middle of a work meeting. We didn't get anything done because all he wanted to talk about was Meow Wolf. So I uh, I'm excited to go see it. I've got to see it. Uh, I can't wait for it to come to Denver. So yeah. Um, so that was that was last episode. But but this episode, guys, we've got some pretty uh exciting stuff so you know kind of consistent with how we've been doing things we have uh this segment you might have heard of it beer of the week and so uh we did denver beer co when we did all those and we've been doing upslope brewery now the the grand reveal is our interview for this week is the owner of upslope brewing company so we dive into all things upslope brewery related we also get some pretty, pretty. Uh, I wouldn't call it like like nuclear code secret, but like there were some there were some secrets divulged around new potential flavors of seltzers and stuff. So uh, if they probably haven't been released yet, you'll hear it here first. We'll make sure that we blast it on our social media. But we've got some really cool stuff uh, in this interview, and I'm pumped for you guys. Yeah. To look into it. yeah, and his name is Matt Cutter. He goes very in depth on how Upslope came about what Upslope is, kind of their future growth. So very exciting episode. If you like Upslope Brewing Company, if you have buddies that do or girls that do, highly recommend it. Yeah, dude. Well, and this is one too where like DBC, like don't get me wrong, I love DBC, but DBC, they're a craft brewery, right? Like they mm-hmm. do they do beers. And I feel like Upslope, obviously craft brewery, they do beers, but I would almost argue that in popularity, their seltzers are just as much, if not more, I found out about Upslope Brewery through their snowmelt seltzers before I even had one of their beers. So this is kind of a cool, a cool episode, right? Because it's like beer drinkers, seltzer drinkers. If you're a seltzer drinker, you probably have had snowmelt. If you haven't, you've at least seen it. So a lot of a lot of different angles this week. Yeah. I mean, I had it this week in Breckenridge and we had some buddies in town from Kansas City and they were like, wait, the seltzer has electrolytes in it. <laughs> and I was like, Everyone just was continuing to say, um, you know, hydrate while you dehydrate, which is great. Exactly. exactly. You know, over the next morning. I mean, I don't know why you couldn't, why you wouldn't drink snowmelt because it has electrolytes in it. There you go. It's healthy for you. 
Yeah, it's healthy. <laughs> oh, all right, love it. Well, all right, so that's that's kind of what you guys have to come to expect for this week. I think you're going to love it. Matt's the man, and you're really going to enjoy and learn learn a lot. I think we definitely did. So, so what, you want to go ahead and kick us off this week with what have we learned? Yeah. So this one was inspired by a friend of the pod and religious listener, Hunter. Shut uh, up. So Saturday night, we were a few drinks in. We are talking about driving home on the highway, as obviously I like to talk about all the time, and what we've come to love in the What Did You Learned. And what we went into was she believed that Eisenhower Tunnel, there were three lanes that you could go through the tunnel, and one of those was an express lane. I obviously said, you're wrong. It's only two lanes. There is a express lane later in the highway, but it is not that early going eastbound. So we bet two shots on it, and I ended up winning. There's only two lanes that go through the Eisenhower Tunnel. So this week we're going to talk about the express lane because I've never really read about it. So the express lane on I-70, it's called the I-70 Mountain Eastbound Express Lane. It opened in 2015. It was a part of the I-70 Mountain Express Lane project. It basically upgraded 13 miles of eastbound lane between Empire through Veterans Memorial Tunnel, Tidal Springs. All it is basically an express lane on the far left side where you pay um, varying expenses depending on how busy the express lane is. And it's basically supposed to increase your speed or increase the travel time by up to half of the actual travel time. So kind of interesting. They say it diverts anywhere from 750 to 900 cars on any given day free of the general purpose, which I thought was very interesting because if you think about express lane, it seems like you're going to slow down traffic. Like it's going to make traffic faster, right? But is it really that impactful to a normal driving? Well, dude, that's the thing about the express lane that's interesting is like I, like this one, we went to Aspen this weekend and we were driving by it too. And that the being from Texas, the express lanes in Texas usually are separated by like barriers uh-huh. and stuff. This one's weird because like, really if you didn't weren't paying all that close attention i mean it it literally there's nothing separating you from going in there other than the fact that rather than a dotted line it's a solid line and basically saying like you're subject to some fines if you try to wedge in there and bypass all the you know paying for it yeah but it is pretty interesting like when you go and see it it literally just is a normal lane uh and there weren't a lot of people using it because we when i went because there wasn't a lot of traffic but to your point about saving time on traffic, so the, the variability of the rate is actually genius and I think is necessary because, right, like if you if you have the general lanes, which are two of them going eastbound, if they're jammed, packed, and everyone starts going into the express lane, well, then the express lane is going to be packed, right? So the express lane loses the allure of paying for it if you're not going to get there any quicker, right? But the idea is the more crowded it gets, the more money you start charging the more willing people are probably like, rather than paying 20 bucks, I'll just sit in traffic for, you know, 30 minutes. So it keeps that traffic lane, that express lane moving because you're disincentivizing people from actually using it, which actually speeds up that lane and basically doesn't just turn it into a glorified third general purpose lane. Uh, yeah. So that concept but, is pretty interesting. Yeah. And some of the, I thought it was just kind of interesting. I mean, it's supposed to alleviate traffic, right? And it, provides for more dependent time zone, like how long it takes to get somewhere. 
for people that really need to like be somewhere. But in general, it actually speeds up the traffic for everybody, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, for sure. And some like some true hard facts, according to CDOT, was if you compare Martin Luther King weekend, which is this upcoming weekend, from 2012, which was before they had it, to now, to 2016, which was the most recent facts they have. At 4 p.m. on Martin Luther King Day in 2016, the traffic was 26% faster. In 20, and at 7.30 p.m., it was 52% faster. Wow. And then another kind of fun stat was before the express lanes, when there were 2,500 vehicles per hour on that I-70, the speed usually dropped down to five miles an hour. Nowadays, the express lane, you can have up to 3,100 vehicles per hour, and you barely have any effect on traffic speeds. Love it. But my question is, and where I get frustrated is, why don't you just have it always be three lanes and you never have an express lane? Can't that increase traffic at all times? 100%. Well, that would, that would, it would lower traffic overall because you'd have more people using it, but it wouldn't be, it would be like the express lane, right, is going to reduce it a little bit just because of the people using it. But it, it, you're right, it would be a give and take, right? Overall, it would be better for everyone to have a third lane, but it also would not allow you the option to bypass all of it for a, for a price, right? So it's like, if you were in a big hurry, the express line, getting rid of that would hurt you because express line, you'd have to pay money, but you can get there way quicker than if they were just three lanes. Um, yeah. So it, it just, it give and take, but no, I agree. And I've, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for this giant, like, uh, like a huge train system for them to figure that out. Cause I know they have the train. We can talk more about that in subsequent episodes, but like you would think if they really ironed out a good infrastructure from a train perspective, train travel, especially for people from Denver to like all sorts of different mountains, that that would have a bigger impact than any of this. Cause why would I, if I'm going to go drink at a basin, I don't want to go drive all that way. So I'd rather just tailgate in the, in the train, get up there, ski, come back. Like that just seems like a way better way of alleviating than adding more lanes. But yeah, I mean, I, easy for me to say it's like yeah, oh, it's just a, put a train in there like in the mountains you know like easy if you pay if you pay attention to the news long enough you'll see plenty of articles suggesting that and you'll see i can't remember the cost to actually do it but it's like astronomical oh i'm sure i'm sure but when you said going back to what you said is if they took away the express lanes made three person lanes it's better for everybody which oh, i would say is more in line with the political beliefs of colorado than it would be to allow people to pay and have one lane quicker. Yeah. You're just saying like fiscally, yeah. like, yeah. Like I, mean, fiscally yeah, people, I guess that's an analogy. Yeah. I guess that'd be more. <laughs> that'd be, yeah. That's like a I mean, people in Colorado are more for the people. They're not more for like the wealthy. They're more for everybody being happy and having a, a general better life. So why wouldn't they just open that third lane? I don't know. I don't think they're, I don't think CDOT is, getting political with their lane openings, but well, I don't know that's, I mean, you're not wrong. I think that is yeah. a decent analogy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the world may never know sweat. The world, may the never world, know. the world, Colorado population may never know. Um, just add on a little bit more. I learned about the express line. Um, there are multiple ones currently. There's one us 36 from Boulder, Denver. There's one on I 25 from downtown Denver to Northwest Parkway on E-470, 
And then obviously the I-70 eastbound one in the mountains. And then there's also one on C-470. They're going to add, this isn't the ending of the express lane. They're going to add one going westbound in the mountains on I-70. And then they're going to add a couple more on I-25. And as well as, I think the biggest one is I-70 between Brighton Boulevard and Chambers Road, which is basically downtown to the airport. So nice. if you love the express lines, if you hate the express lines, there's going to be more. So just be prepared. Well, I got, I've got a bone to pick because I got a freaking thing in the mail. Apparently, like, I didn't get notified that I owed money for this. Like, I, and I used the one in 470 going to the airport when I was with my in-laws because they live in Centennial. And they, they got like a, like a, like a lawyer sent me this and it's like a debt collector. And I'm like, what? I haven't even been notified that I owed anything. What are you talking about? So. Well, it's probably because you have a Texas plate and your bill got sent to Texas. Honestly, that's probably what it is. I need to I need to get that changed. But yeah, and I would add that like, if you do get a toll pass, it is cheaper. Um, when you see the signs, it usually says if you have the toll pass, right, like seven dollars. If you don't have a toll pass, it's like twelve. Right. Just an adds up on there. If you want to save money, you want to go fast in an express line, get a toll tag. Right. So, anyways, I yeah. So that's great. So, that's uh, what we learned this week. Express lanes. Thank you, Hunter. Um, enjoy those two shots later today. <laughs> As for <laughs> what do we try, Matt? Where did we go this week? Yeah, we went to uh, try this week. Sorry. We went to Denver Poke Company because you know what's what? New year, new me. I'm eating healthier. So we were like, you know what? Let's get some poke in us. And this is, you know, kind of in line, pretty close to uh, Denver Beer Co my brother's bar, that kind of general area, REI, it's right in the heart of the um, low high area, right? So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so a pretty cool spot. It's not very big. COVID is, uh, I remember, so it was interesting because like COVID, they can only have so many people in there. So like, it was a weird thing when there's other people ordering, we just kind of like loitered outside for a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like, it's not a place you go and like sit down, right? It's like, they have like a kind of like Chipotle style screen up there where you go and you do, you cho- choose your size. So small, medium, large. And then they have a, a bunch of preset bowls that are already made, or you can do what Sweat and I did, which is basically just build your own bowl kind of from scratch. It's very Chipotle-esque uh, in the sense that it's like, choose your base, which is like, you know, brown rice or quinoa or whatever. And then you choose your proteins and then toppings. And so very, very Chipotle style ordering. But yeah, so I thought, I thought it was pretty good. I, I did order when we went sweat, I got, I think I got like the regular size and when I got it recently, I ordered it on like DoorDash or something and I got the large and dude, the thing is freaking massive. Like I couldn't, I got about halfway done and was, couldn't do it. So for whatever it's worth, whenever you guys go, regular is pretty good size. Large, if you're like ravenous, go for it. But, oh man, I, I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. Yeah. I second that I really liked it. Uh, my favorite part about it is one, you have like the quinoa option, which typically I feel like most poke or poke places don't have. And then on basically all of their sides are what they call salad, fruit, and veggies. You can add as many as you want and it doesn't yeah. increase the charge. So the only ones that really increase the charge is if you add avocado or add any additional 
meats or fish. So you can basically just load it up. That's and that's what I do. I mean, I get the rice, I get the regular, I get the tuna, and then I just load up with a ton of fruits and vegetables, a ton of salads. And the cool part is they have their like extra salads are actually pretty awesome. I mean, they have like crab salad, spicy crab salad, baby octopus salad, the calamari salad. Like they're very, very diverse. Yeah. In comparison to, I feel like most places are like, oh, cool, you can get edamame. <laughs> well, dude, that's the thing. Like the the crab and spicy crab salad. Like when I saw that, I was like, it very much. I've never seen anything that has had crab in it that hasn't been an additional cost. Like, yeah, crab's not cheap. And this one, and like the crab salad was like really good. It's like a what you would what I would imagine is inside of like a crab cake. Like it's like a like creamy crab like coleslaw looking thing. But man, it was good. And I, I just had to keep going on that because I was like, it's free. Oh, I'll take two more scoops, you know? So I completely exactly. agree. That was huge. Uh, from a protein perspective, I mean, I, I don't know what else we can really say without you guys just doing research, like, because there's so many endless options, right? But the big things, like, as far as what you can really get from a meats perspective, if you're building your own. They have, to what Sweat said, they have tuna, salmon, yellowtail, spicy tuna, octopus, and tofu. Like on the large bowl, at least when I ordered it online, I could choose like up to four proteins at no extra cost. So like I popped off on like tuna, spicy tuna, yellowtail and salmon, basically just picked all the fish. So they're not, it's not, they're not skimping out on, you know, what to Swetnam's point around the salad, same thing with the meats, like four meats for a poke bowl. Like that's pretty, that's pretty rare. Like I feel like you usually get one or two, uh, but to get four, like, you're, you're going to get what you pay for. And the, in the, the building your own, the regular looks like it's about 1259, the largest 1559. So again, you're getting raw fish. It's not, it's not McDonald's prices. Right. But if you're getting, I had, I split the large bowl into two different settings and for 16 bucks, I mean, eight bucks per sit down, like that you're, you're not going to find a, a, a very much better deal than that. I would say. Yeah. I would no, unless you're going to like Taco Bell or Burger King. Right, right. So, what would you uh, what would you put as your rating, Matt? Yeah, dude, I I uh, really like poke, and I loved the uh, kind of bang for your buck out of this place. Uh, mm-hmm. Quality was really good. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it like a seven eight. I thought it was really good, and it, it's 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 pretty traditional poke. I would say, like, I, I don't know, like, there wasn't anything where I went in and I was like, because I've eat, I've eaten poke my whole life in Texas, Missouri, all sorts of places. And there wasn't anything here where I was like, dude, that is insane. Such a unique thing. Like it, it's a poke place, but the seven, what I say, seven, eight, it, I, I think a lot of that has to do with quality and bang for your buck really uh, and size of portions more than really just anything. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm going to seven, eight. What about you? Yeah. I would agree there. I think I go right in line with you 7.8. I mean, I think, the amount of variety they have was pretty incredible. That's what I like. And the bang for your buck is so true. I mean, you can add as many sides as you want and stays the same price. And the sides you're adding aren't just like edamame or like cool. You can add like onion strips. It's like actual like true sides that are really good that honestly, I think I would order almost like a sushi restaurant as like a side. So right. I think point eight is right in line. Really good spot. Highly recommend it. As Matt said, Denver Pope Company, it's in the Platt Street area. Great area. You can also take it in the summertime, take it over to the park, as we've mentioned multiple times, eat it. 
maybe drink a little Denver Beer Co. beer, just get the whole, you know, Platte Street area experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely agree. So, all right, well, that's what we tried, and this is what we want to finish off this thing with a little bit of where did we go? So where where'd we go this week? Yeah, uh, this week we went to Stoney's Bar and Grill. Um, the main reason why we picked this one is we are in playoff football time. Which yeah. Go Chiefs. Browns, I don't know what happened to you last night, but that was incredible. And so, Stoney's Bar and Grill, it's down off of 111 Lincoln, Denver. If you know Denver's areas pretty well, it's on the uptown side of the city. And it's down off of Lincoln. Really good spot. It's like, I honestly, this place is like four bars in one. is massive. During normal times, it's super easy to find a table. Right now, due to COVID, it's just kind of first come, first serve. But they have split out separately. I think Matt and I's favorite part is they have Wing Wednesday, which was when we went. Shout out Wing Wednesday. Freaking love yeah. it. Do you remember, was it $20 all you can eat Wing Wednesday? Uh, I don't even think it was $20. I think it was like maybe 15 or 16 and I can't find the prices online. I can, we can yeah. do a follow up next week, but the, the idea is it's, you have bone in or boneless wings, right? And it's, it's literally all you can eat. So they mm-hmm. start you out, uh, with like a larger portion and they have like, like all these sauces and so you may know the sauces right off the top of your head, but they have like a Thai chili sauce. They have like medium mild, all your standard ones. They have, it's kind of like a Buffalo Wild Wings kind of thing where it's like, there's a ton of different options. So what yeah. we did, Sweat, if I remember, I had a few beers, so if I remember correctly, was, you know, we started out with one and then you just literally just mix up the sauces, figure out which sauce you like, you have unlimited. Yeah. And then you just find out your favorite and then just keep getting that. But I literally, I think I was full for like 48 hours after that. Like I had, I had probably 50 wings. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, I did the same. And my favorite part about it is that I feel like when you get all you can eat, it's usually like all you can do is traditional wings or all you can do is boneless. At Stoney's, you can go back and forth, yep. which I think is pretty amazing. Um, the other thing that they do have on those Wednesdays, they have $4 Jim Bean shots, $5 Roku gin, $6 from Makers, and the biggest one, I think, is $5 25-ounce Coors Lights. I mean, that's, Coors that's a steal. So I was looking at uh, – so sorry to interrupt. I was looking at the sauces. So the sauces that they have – are buffalo triple x buffalo which is just a really spicy buffalo spicy honey barbecue mango habanero garlic parmesan thai cilantro and smoking garlic are the sauces oh man that got me excited just reading about this um yeah i mean i might have to go again next wednesday i know i we can go tomorrow yeah (laughs) i'm not against it (laughs) The other thing that they do have that we have not tried yet is Taco Tuesday. Um, on Tuesdays, they have taco specials, which is you can basically pick between different kinds of tacos. It's a dollar for beef and chicken, $2 for steak and pastor or carnitas, and then $3 for fish and shrimp. So Tuesdays or Wednesdays are pretty epic, it seems like, which is makes sense. There's no really football on, but um, it's still, I think, a really good spot. Weekend, yeah. great football spot. They have the commentating usually on over the system, shit ton of TVs. It's a great sports bar. Yeah. If you're looking for a sports bar, like honestly, this is my favorite sports bar in Denver. I haven't been to a ton of them, 
but yeah. the, the one thing I will say about Stoney's, um, it's getting a high rating for me. The only negative is parking. So if you've been on Lincoln street, you know, it's a pretty busy street going mm-hmm. down into downtown. Um, the one thing I did notice is if you're going through peak going during peak times, they have a parking lot that you have to pay for that's connect like right next to it. I think it's like eight bucks. It's a viable option. It sucks to have to pay, but there also are like meters on the street that you can, that you can park at as well. What I've seen friends do and the buddies that I went with um, before I met up with Swetnam there, uh, he literally lives in the Highlands and he, he took a lit, lit, one of those electric scooters all the way down and then didn't have to worry about parking and he could drink all he wanted. So I, yeah. it's something to consider. If you live in Aurora, don't hear me saying that you need to take an electric scooter all the way to Lincoln <laughs> Street, but it, it, parking is difficult because it is in a popular area on a busy street. So just be, just be ready for that. That was the only, that's really the only negative that I could ever find on Stoney's outside of with COVID, it is hard to get in there, but just be aware of that. We definitely recommend it, but have a plan for parking, whether it's Ubering or just be okay with paying eight bucks in that parking lot next door. Yeah. And I mean, $5, 25 ounce Coors Lights on a Wednesday, you probably should Uber. Uh, Yeah. Ubering. Yeah. That's actually a great point. Even parking aside, I mean, if you really want to have the, the true Stoney's experience, Uber. <laughs> Don't drive yeah. or walk or whatever you need to do. But yeah, definitely it's something to be aware of. So, so what do you, uh, what's your rating? Yeah, I mean, I feel like everything that I put in as my favorite is above an eight. So I'm going to continue with that and I'm going to go with an 8.6. And Dude, yeah, that was 100% what I was going to do. So we're, yeah. we're, on, we're on online this week. Yeah, this is a good week. Uh, I mean, I just think Wing Wednesday alone gives it an 8.6. On top of that, a bunch of TVs. You can watch sports. $5, 25-ounce Coors Lights on Wednesdays. I just – there's nothing better. Yeah. It's my favorite sports bar in town. If I'm going to watch Chiefs game and I don't want to watch it at my apartment, I'm going to go to Stoney's. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So, no, I, get, I agree 8.6. Basically what that means is – get your butt to Stoney's. So sports bar doesn't matter what your affiliation is. I swear they had about a hundred different kinds of flags in there. So it depends on who you ask, but everyone will say Stoney's is a blank sports team bar. I'm not convinced. Yeah. It seems like there's a hundred of them and everyone says something different. So regardless, it's not like, you know, if you're looking for a sports bar and you're looking for a, a cool, you know, unlimited wing deal on Wednesday, it's like, I mean, go to Stoney's. It's, that's an yeah. easy choice. Completely agree. So, all right, guys. Well, for, for Beer of the Week, we're, we're going to treat our interview as Beer of the Week, given that we are still highlighting Upslope. So, hopefully, you've been following along. You've had some of the beers that mostly Swanum has had over this past six weeks. Um, but if you haven't, you know, give them a shot, hear what we have to say about them, and then hopefully you, it'll give you a little more appreciation and context for the episode. But if not, I mean, it's still a great episode if you're a Seltzer fan, beer fan alike. Some pretty cool, pretty cool topics covered for sure. Yeah, completely agree. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate y'all. We will uh, see you guys here next week and sit back and relax and crack a beer for us and enjoy uh, our interview with Matt Cutter. Yeah, or a seltzer. Or a seltzer, whatever is your preference. <laughs> okay, love you guys. Peace. All 
All right, everyone. Well, we have Matt Cutter here. Um, thank you, Matt, for joining us. He is the co-founder of Upslope Brewing Company in Boulder, Colorado. So, Matt, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew and Matt, for having me. So, so Matt, tell us, you know, just to, to get it kicked off here, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do at the brewery, and then just, you know, at a 50,000-foot view, what Upslope Brewery is. Yeah. So long story short, I basically discovered craft beer in Boulder, Colorado after moving here from Ohio. I'm originally from Cleveland and went to school in, uh, at Miami University in Ohio and essentially moved to Colorado to ski. Had never been to Boulder before, but we, um, my buddy and I moved to Boulder because we didn't think August was a good time of the year to get a job in a ski town. So Fair by enough. default, <laughs> we moved to Boulder and uh, that was in 1991. I've never left. So um, it's been, it's been a, a wild ride for sure. I, um, I discovered craft beer, man, mostly through uh, old Chicago and um, also the, um, uh, the Oasis which used to be in Boulder a long time ago. And, uh, and that just opened the doors uh, to New Belgium and Left Hand and, you know, these, these great beers coming out of California and the Northwest. Um, so then I, I wanted to homebrew and create it myself. And so I started doing that, I think about 1995. And uh, uh, my, my buddy Rico and I, we always had homebrew in the pipeline and uh, kept doing it. My, my kids were my, my first uh, packaging team. Um, they would cap my bomber bottles and, uh, and fill them. And uh, I think they were like eight and 10. Um, <laughs> so um, the first part of my business plan in the concept, uh, we wanted to brew, package, and sell uh, easy drinking, uh, high quality craft beer for the outdoor enthusiasts, because that's who we were. And we didn't think that there was really somebody who was nailing uh, that target at a demographic at that time. And we wanted to do it in the portable, forever recyclable, lightweight, crushable, unbreakable aluminum can. And that you know, sitting here today, that seems like an of course kind of uh, kind of thing. Back in 2008, um, there weren't many craft brewers out there that were canning their beer. We think we we're in the first dozen in the country of craft brewers actually canning their beer. And not only was that um, a little bit of an uphill battle from a um, uh, selling to a consumer who is used to drinking out of bottles. Uh, and having an association uh, of beer going in cans as being cheap and fizzy. But the canning equipment was not there for small brewers. Sure, you could buy a million and a half dollar, 500 can per minute uh, canning line from Coke or Pepsi, but that thing wouldn't even fit in our brewery. Um, much less could we afford such a thing, much less do we need those kinds of volumes at that time. So we... So you put your kids to work again? Is that... Yeah, a... exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't beer. 
We actually, we, <laughs> we started with a um, filler and seamer uh, that was strictly manual. So it, it took three people to, uh, to package, uh, I think we got up to five cans a minute. And it was a two station filler, one station seamer. We had a sink that we used to rinse off the cans. And uh, if it floated too high, it was a low fill. Um, that's how, that's all we could do to determine that. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was scrappy to say the least. And um, those days, those days were tough. Those days were tough uh, from uh, a number of different challenges uh, that we were being faced with. We were the first microbrewery in Boulder in 13 years. Um, so there was, it was quiet there for a long time uh, before we came on the scene. And we were out to um, prove everybody that, that we should be in the mix. Um, I mean, if you can survive making a new brewery with two mortgages on your house in a recession in 2008, I think you can, uh, you can about survive anything. I think Matt, that's a, that's, that's, you've got, you've got some cojones on you, my friend. I, I, uh, I applaud you. <laughs> Thanks for appreciating that, Matt. Yes. I guess we failed to mention that when we started the brewery, it was at the start of the great recession and right. crisis. <laughs> When you said 2008, I was like, oh, man, that's brutal. That, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Okay. That's, and, and we referred back to that. I mean, this COVID stuff, I mean, bring it. Uh, yeah. You know, we, 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 we've done this before in, in difficult environments. And you just, you just keep pushing. You just keep pushing through it. And I'm telling you, once you start writing checks off your second mortgage, that is propelling yeah. Is, it's, it has this self-propelling quality because it's like, well, we can either, you know, give everything up now and have that debt, you know, when nothing to show for it, or, um, or we could just keep, keep pushing forward. And at that time, I felt also that I had an obligation to Danny and Henry. And they felt the same things I felt, that we had burned the ships at the beach. Right. Yeah. Matt, it sounds like... Uh current recession you need to take a second mortgage out start your own business <laughs> yeah know, is that well, what the mba classes are telling people nowadays i don't <laughs> that's what i've heard finance finance 101 <laughs> <laughs> i guess quick question um when you open i guess the whole process of quitting your job um taking out a second mortgage at what point did you realize that it was like actually the real deal and do you remember like talking to your wife and being like, I'm going to be one of the first to open a microbrewery and start something new? She, she knew that this was something that it, this wasn't, I didn't do this on a whim. Obviously there was 11 years between business plans. Um, but it was um, at the time, uh, you know, I, I kept my day job for three years upon starting Upslope. And yes, that is one way to go about it. It, uh, it does mitigate your risks. One thing that I didn't realize until I got into it is uh, another part of that, that mitigation is that when I finally got a loan uh, almost a year and a half later from a bank, they looked at my income, they looked at my wife's income and they looked at the, well, the negative income of the brewery 
and uh, kind of looked at all that together. So my, my income and my wife's income were essentially collateral for the bank, which, which they were more comfortable with lending money to a startup. It wasn't until September 2009 that I was able to get uh, an actual loan from Flatirons Bank here in Boulder, still our bank. And um, it was uh, it was pretty a pretty meager loan at the time, but I was screaming victory because I actually got a got a loan from a bank for for our little startup. Love it. Well, and so you know, fast forward, Matt, to now. Um, and let's say fast forward, I guess, maybe to before COVID, what would you say now that it's, you know, a well-oiled machine, um, what would you say is the most difficult part of running Upslope at, in your current position, like day-to-day, and I know COVID's not helping, but like, what what is the day-in, day-out hard, most difficult part about running a microbrewery and specifically Upslope? Yeah, so um, one of the toughest parts uh, over the years has been cash flow. We don't, we don't have outside investors. We don't have a, I call it a money tree in the, in the back that, oh, you know, hey, you know, payroll, yeah, payroll's not looking too good for this month. Okay, let's just, let's just uh, pick some leaves off the money tree right, and take right. care of that problem uh, real quick. Uh, so therefore, uh, managing cash. And, and I, uh, until you've actually managed, truly managed cash, it's tough to really appreciate what that means. So cash flow being the timing of money coming in to money going out. And even when I say it like that, it sounds pretty simple. It is a balancing act. I've floated more checks in those first three years than, uh, than I ever have in my entire life. And I remember talking to my son about floating checks. He's like, what, what does that mean when you float a check? I'm like, ha, ha, ha. I'm the master at floating checks. I can, I can go, how much do you want to know? I knew exactly if I sent a check to Brewer Supply Group, which uh, supplied all our, our malted barley at the time, I knew that as soon as that check went in the mail, that they would deposit it five days later. So I could run around to our our delivery drivers uh, and Henry, and uh, I would collect checks from them uh, on a daily basis. I made deposits at the bank five days a week. I got to know everybody at the bank really, really well. And it's just because I was floating checks and we needed to keep the cash flowing. I, if, if that check uh, didn't clear for Brewer Supply Group, guess what? I get a phone call and they say, we're not gonna ship you any malt until, until this check clears, you know? And then everything, can come crashing down very quickly. You can actually grow yourself out of business. Yeah. I guess not to be on the, the difficult part, what has, I guess, been the most gratifying part um, over your tenure? You know, and uh, this is going to sound a little cliche, but it, it is the people. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, I sent out a note to the company. Uh, we're, we're north of 60 employees now. And one of the things I, I said in it was um, when, when people were asking me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I never said, I want to be an employer. That was, that was never, <laughs> never in my sights. The, uh, the, the, the people part is really, the, it's the part that keeps bringing me back and, and prevents me from wanting to do anything else. 
It really, uh, it fuels me. Um, I go back and forth uh, during COVID between my house and the brewery and uh, being at the brewery is way better than being at my house uh, when I'm getting my, uh, getting my work done. And <laughs> I get pulled into everything and I, I, I like that. Um, I like getting a group of people in a room and problem solving or mm -hmm. innovating or talking about our branding on a new launch or cash flow or uh, distribution issues that we're having mm -hmm. uh, or employee issues that we're having. I, I really, really enjoy uh, that piece a lot. Yeah. And I want to, I want to focus Matt now. I mean, upslope, we, we've got a good idea of upslope, how it started. I want to talk actual product now. So beer, seltzers, et cetera. So what to this day, is there a single upslope beer that you look back on and you're like, that's the, that's the beer you're most proud of. Like that's your pinnacle beer. Uh, and if it is, what, what is it and why, why is it that way? You know, uh, in, in, I would say, I would say it's our craft lager and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, Andrew loves that one. Yeah, right. that's my, that's my go-to beer. Uh, did, did you know, Andrew, that it won a silver medal at the Great American Beer Festival last fall? I didn't. I now do. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yep, yep. Uh, fin finally, we got a medal for that, that one. Um, it is, uh, uh, it, I think it defines us because it is a premium beer. It is a easy drinking beer. It is a uh, easy to go to beer. Uh, once you reach the top of the 14er or when you get back from mountain biking and get back to the car and the coolers in the car, it is that beer. In addition to that, it's a very innovative beer in that in 2010, when we packaged the craft lager for the first time, we, we were ridiculed. Uh, I remember specifically getting email to the website saying, Congratulations, Upslope. You just recreated Budweiser. <laughs> and that's brutal. <laughs> I think that was, I think that was the loud minority. Um, nobody was doing loggers because loggers take longer in the tanks. And if you can you can do uh, you can do more turns with ales in your tanks, therefore you have more capacity when you produce ales instead of loggers. Uh, when you lager a beer, it's three, four, it can be up to five or six weeks, uh, depending on the lager. And um, so we decided that this was innovative and something nobody else was doing. And it was uh, all barley, no corn, no rice, no bullshit, um, just pure barley, um, premium lager that was very easy drinking and... Um, and crushable. So I think that's pretty defining of who we are. Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite beer. So I, I, um, second you on being your favorite beer. <laughs> um, we do have a question, I guess, kind of, um, obviously you guys were like the first group to get into one of the first craft breweries to get into can brewing, um, which was kind of like a revolutionary new thing that people were doing in microbreweries. <clears throat> and then, the industry's kind of boomed since then, but in the last two years, we've seen the uptick in spiked seltzer. And obviously, your guys' snow melt, I personally love it, but it's been 
it's kind of one of those first craft breweries to really jump on board with the spiked seltzer. So I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that. Like how long did it take you guys to get on board and how long did it take you to come up with like the first product? Because it seems like it was something that was just kind of out of left field, especially for like a microbrewery kind of concept. Yeah, you bet. And, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it was a, a transition for many of us at Upslope. Um, we had been watching maybe for about a year, year and a half, um, this trend of uh, hard seltzers. And we talked about it, and especially Henry kept, uh, hey, let's, let's look at this. We have a new product development uh, meeting every couple of weeks with uh, basically uh, people in the company from all facets. And we, we talk about these kinds of things and it's like, well, what if, and why would we, and, and uh, how would we go about that? And what's the market like? And so it, I was, I was reluctant. And then once we, once we started talking about it more and how we could do it our way and how it could be this other option for our demographic, um, those same people who embrace the outdoors. Not all, not all of them can drink beer, um, whether it's gluten or you know reactions to hops or or whatever. Um, so we thought this would be a, a good option for them as well. It's like okay, so let's let's do it our way. What does that mean? Uh, we started. Danny especially started with uh, with nothing, with some research and uh, working with some. Um, some raw ingredients and he essentially moved his desk out of his office and put in a stainless steel table and uh, brought in carboys and flasks and he, he went straight back into chemist mode uh, which was really fun to see him do that and he just he, he, he just like put his blinders on it's just like this is what I'm going to do I'm going to figure this thing out and we had tastings and his formulation of the alcohol base is pretty unique and we really we are realizing this more and more over time that it was able to produce this very very clean alcohol that we ferment up to 10 percent abv and then we cut it down to five and then we add these natural flavorings into it you you bet that there were some of our brewers that were like you want me to make what i'm a brewer man i brew beer and it, it, it took, it definitely took some time to get everybody uh, on board with, hey, you know, this is, this is something uh, very innovative. This is something that we can capture some market share for. And, and this is true to who we are. And so, um, so Danny started formulating uh, October of 2019. Is that right? <laughs> No, 2018. <laughs> and then uh, we launched in May of 2019. So we've had it out for a year and a half now. And uh, it's done very, very well for us. It's done better than I had anticipated. Uh, we are actually, uh, Spike Snowmelt is the number one craft seltzer in Colorado, wow. um, which we're, we're pretty proud of that yeah. uh, we hit the ground running with that. Since then, we had a group very interested in Spike Snowball as well that has taken it to France. 
So uh, as we speak, it's rolling out to a number of Carrefour uh, stores in France and uh, has actually already been in the market for about six months in uh, some other chains there. But um, it's something that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes over there. But yes. it's, it's really got a lot of traction. And I'm, I'm, I'm really proud uh, of the brand and of the liquid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I, I actually have, as you mentioned, that some people can't drink beers, drink or don't like beer. I have a couple of friends and the only thing they'll drink is really snow melt now. So all right, they appreciate you. Uh, and I actually, that's about the only seltzer I drink. So Great. props to you guys. It's very good. Thank you. Thank you. And, and like you said, it has brought people into the upslope world that normally wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Matt, are, are the seltzers outselling the beers or are you still very consistently a brewery or are you now a, a seltzer-y, I don't know how that's a word, that sells beer. Like, what, what, what are the sales looking like like now? Because Snowmelt is hugely popular, so I'm just curious. Yeah, uh, and and Matt, uh, seltzery is a word. Is it? As I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, say, I'm like, if it's not, I'm onto something. So, <laughs> uh, we still uh, produce more beer than seltzer, uh, but I, we're still putting together 2021. I don't, I don't know. I don't know uh, just yet what 2021 is going to look at. So you never know. But um, yeah, we, we're still uh, very much innovating on, um, on the beer front. That first brewery location that I was telling you guys about earlier uh, up at Lee Hill. Lee Hill, we doubled in 2010 to a whopping 4,500 square feet. Uh, tap room there as well. And when we needed more space in 2012, I found some space over in Flatiron Park in uh, East Central Boulder and um, at Flatiron Park. And that has become our, um, our factory. The beauty of that is that it has allowed Lee Hill to be our playground, our R&D facility our ability to innovate. And I always hoped that we would have been able to do that. It was a little tough to pull off because, well, we still didn't have any money in 2012 to cleanly do something like that. So there was, yeah, there was talk about um, selling Lee Hill or scrapping it, um, uh, but we were able to keep it. And you bet that the hazy IPA we just launched, it didn't come from Flatiron Park, it came from Lee Hill the first production batches of spiked snowmelt came from Lee Hill. Our, uh, our wild Christmas ale that we, we launch every fourth quarter, Lee Hill, any barrel aged anything, uh, Lee Hill. The majority of the tap, tap handles that we have at our two tap rooms in Boulder, uh, the, the vast majority of those tap handles, they come from Lee Hill. That's, that's our new stuff. Our next can coming out, whatever that is, it's not coming from Flatiron Park. It's coming from Lee Hill. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's say, stay, stay true to home base. Yeah, and it's it's become and it really hit me, uh, you know, before we moved over to Flatiron Park that if if you have production and innovation, uh, in my opinion, under the same roof, uh, production will win out every time. Yeah, because innovation doesn't pay the bills in the short term. So if you separate the two, that is a best case scenario. And uh, I, I feel very fortunate that, that we've been able to do it. 
because I never want to be your dad's craft beer. Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and that's, yeah, I, uh, hopefully I guess whenever I become a dad, I'll have to stop, I'll have to switch up my beers. So I won't be the, uh, <laughs> the dad's beer, but, um, so do you have, I guess, obviously you guys are opening, you're doing the seltzer thing. It's kind of like your new thing. You're still doing your beer concept, but, um, are there any products in line that are coming out in the near future that you can disclose that you're really excited about? <laughs> if you're allowed to, you know, that <laughs> this is the, the whole interview led up to this moment. It's like, yeah. all right, warm, <laughs> like warm him up. And then, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. What can I tell you? So um, just hitting shelves now our hazy IPA. We've had it available in a, um, a hop mix box for just a few weeks now. Um, and that's something we've been, uh, we've been uh, working on and perfecting for quite a while. So I'd be excited for, um, for you guys to try that out. And, and we feel, again, we, we did it our way. So uh, that's brand new. We also uh, launching January, well, end of January, early February, uh, we have for Spike Snowmelt a tropical mix box with uh, three new flavors that uh, that we've been working on, and um, we think that that's uh, that's going to be something that people are going to like. So uh, that's hitting it, and we're um, we've been focused a lot on lagers uh, over at Lee Hill and have been producing some phenomenal. Uh, Martzins and uh, we have a Hellas on tap now that is my go-to and on and on uh, in that category. So we have, uh, we have some lagers coming up uh, more toward the summer that, uh, that you'll see being brand new. Yeah. And you brought up uh, your go-to beer. We have, we always try to ask an interesting question. Um, how many beers would you say you drink on a week? from upslope <laughs> <laughs> hmm. you can get the you can get the family friendly answer if you want but uh we're an explicit podcast so we're good <laughs> you know uh at a at a minimum you know uh two two to three a day you know it's uh it, it is my go-to. I do like bringing other uh, craft beers in, into my house and, and trying different beers, seeing, seeing what other brewers are doing out there. Um, I, I, it's not that I'm, I'm an upslope snob and that's all I'll drink. No, no, quite, quite the opposite. I, I like great beer. And uh, there's, there's a short list of, of brewers out there that I'm just like, yep, oh, they put out something new and I just grab it. I, I don't even think about it. So, yeah, but yeah, you should see right now the bottom shelf of my fridge. Um, I think Upslope is is all that's in there right now. I mean, it's just work, that. working. So when yeah. you wipe ask, <laughs> honey, I'm working. So. <laughs> yeah, it's fully a part of the job. That's what, that's what the job entails. You knew this when you were getting into it. <laughs> there, there are times when we're, you know, we have uh, quality assurance meetings and, there are open cans of beer all over the table. And sometimes I'll take a picture of that and send it to my wife and tell her that I'm hard at work. Man, I'm in, I'm in the wrong profession. 
<laughs> well, Matt, just to, to kind of put a bow on the interview, we have to ask one last question. It's kind of a crystal ball question, right? Given COVID and all that stuff, but but what does what does Upslope look like in five years? What uh, you know, what what are you guys thinking about and talking about in the short term and more relative long term about the trajectory of Upslope into the future? So our our crystal ball has um, has not been working great lately. <laughs> um, COVID is definitely part of that. But we, I would just say. And it's not going to be a great answer, but more more of what got us here in the first place. We will continue to innovate. We will keep producing the, the best quality beers, seltzers, who knows what else um, in the years to come. We will continue to uh, take good care of our people, take good care of our community, make sure that we partner with the right people, uh, put our dollars to where our values are, continue to increase our sustainability, and um, stay true to our values that got us here in the first place. We, we have amazing people working for us. I feel very fortunate for that. Um, and they seek out a company that, that has strong values. And uh, it is from... Uh, everything flows from that people component. That's, that's how you make the best beer. That's how you innovate the best. That's how you get product to market. That's how um, you, you get the right branding so that people pull it off the shelf. It really, it really comes down to that. There is no, um, we wanna take over the world you know, in the next five years. Uh, we wanna be smart about our growth and, um, and do it right. All right. Sounds great. Well, everyone, if you haven't had Upslope Brewery yet, go get it. It's basically everywhere in Denver. Uh, you can go try their snowmelt seltzers. They're awesome, especially come February with the new flavors. I'll be one of the first in line, so you have to find me for it. But go get out there. Try it. Matt Cutter, thank you so much for talking with us today. It's been awesome to have you on. Um, and hopefully we'll uh, have a beer with you here in the, in the near future. <laughs> let's, let's make it happen. All right. All right, everyone. Well, that's Matt Cutter. Thank you, guys. Wow.